Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacraments, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here as always with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Father Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, today let's talk about the Sabbath, um, specifically about how do Christians view and observe uh, the Sabbath? You know, we've talked before about the Ten Commandments and about how they're, they continue to be binding on Christians. And, you know, the fourth com- commandment tells us that we, we ought to keep the Sabbath day holy. And, but the, it's kind of confusing, right? Because, um, you know, the Sabbath really is, a, is an institution for the people of Israel. It's a really Jewish thing. Uh, and, you know, today we, we certainly, while, while Christians, you know, we'll, we'll get to this, but while Christians may, you know, keep the Sabbath in various ways, it's certainly not the same as how a lot of uh, our Jewish uh, cousins keep the Sabbath, especially not Orthodox Jews. There's tons of rules around what you can and can't do. Um, so it just raises a whole lot of questions about what does it actually mean for Christians to keep the Sabbath? But maybe we ought to start with what that word Sabbath actually means, and then maybe we can get into uh, the, some of the, the, the history of this. So, so what does Sabbath mean? Well, it's interesting that uh, the term Sabbath, uh, we don't know exactly where the term comes from, although there are some things that are indicated as the, the root, as a three-letter root, it could come from Shavat, which means to cease work or take off work. And that seems to be indicated in Genesis 2-2, where it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So the idea of resting, ceasing work, taking off work is the idea of Shavat, uh, the verb you know, to cease work. But we also have Sheva, which has the same consonants. Remember, that's a critical thing with Hebrew, which means seven. Oh, okay. And yeah. so think about it. So we have seven day. The se- it could be either from the seventh or it beautifully comes together. It's the seventh day and you take off work. So that root, whether it be the verb to cease work, to take off work, or the or simply the, the number, you know, seven, uh, especially where seventh, the, um, the ordinal, uh, then, uh, you know, could explain the word Sabbath in, in Hebrew. And again, it's the, the Sabbath meant it was the, the seventh day of the week, and it preceded the preceding sunset to the sunset of, the, of that day. So it begins, for Jew, it begins on Friday night at sunset and ends on Saturday sunset. And this is based on Genesis 1, because the days in Genesis, where we, we talk about this God resting from his work, it says, you know, there was evening and morning the first day. There's evening and morning the second day. There's evening and morning. So the tradition in Judaism is that a day begins at sunset the prior night and ends at sunset on the day itself. Okay, okay. So it's it's the the seventh day, the day that that God rests here. But it's um it's sundown to sundown. So Friday night, sundown Saturday to night. sundown. Um right. Okay. Well that right there, I mean, is gonna be you know, we'll not to jump ahead, but that right there is probably going to be a, 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 a big difference from what we've got today. You know, for most Christians, when they say, when's the Sabbath, when's your Sabbath day, I'd probably say Sunday. Um, but we'll, we'll definitely uh, get to that. 
So let's talk about what it meant to observe the Sabbath in the Old Testament. What what does it mean to to really keep that Sabbath day holy? Well, the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and sanctify holy or sanctify, which is simply the Latinist version to make holy, simply means to set it apart as belonging to God. When you set something apart, you know it's to make it holy, setting it apart for God. So what we have is the Sabbath commemoration. uh, First of all, what its significance, and we can talk about how it was actually kept or made holy, is the significance is, first of all, is the completion of creation. It celebrates the completion of creation. The seventh day God rested, the creation was very good. Remember when God looked at all this work, he said, it's very good. Tov Moth and he were very good. Then it also came to have another meaning. It was symbolic of the commemoration of Israel's liberation from the bondage in Egypt. In Deuteronomy 5.15, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Deuteronomy specifically connects the commandment to keep the Sabbath with a memorial, not only the completion of creation, but with their freedom, you know, being freed from the bondage of slavery. And also was a living sign. You know, there's a one-time sign of circumcision that you belong to the covenant. But especially with the prophets, the idea is that this is a living sign. Every time you do, it's a renewal of that. So it talks, for example, uh, in Exodus, we see that first where it says, uh, you are to speak to the children of Israel. This is Exodus 31, 13. And say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And then in Ezekiel, it says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So basically three things. It it celebrates the completion of creation, God's creation. It celebrates the fact that um, freedom from bondage. You know, that God saved his people from bondage. And finally, it's the ongoing covenant. Every time a Jew keeps the Sabbath, he's renewing that covenant of circumcision. He is renewing, yes, it's a public declaration, you know, of of his, his ongoing covenant with the Lord. Matter of fact, if you are a secular Jew and you decide to come back to Judaism, if you read books on this, and I can tell you I've read them, you know, I have an interest in all things Jewish. The classic thing they tell you when you think of first coming back to Judaism is to start keeping the Sabbath. It's the doorway to Judaism is Sabbath keeping. So it's like if you don't do anything else, keep the Sabbath. This is where you start. If you take a first step, keep the Sabbath. Wow. Wow. Okay. So it's so so it's 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 commemorative of both creation and and covenant, right? It's it's reminding them of of the salvation from Egypt and and liberation from Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this, this has a really, this is a very, you know, ritual ceremonial event. This is about reminding, this is about, um, reminding where you came from and why, why you are who you are. So, um, how does one actually, actually do that in the, in the Bible? What's maybe we could, you know, go down the list of you know, what are what does it actually look like for an ancient Jew to uh, to observe the Sabbath? And then maybe we can talk about, you know, what does it look like today? But what did it look like then? Yeah, well, that's really a, a good point because we have to how do we fence this off? How do we make it different? Sanctifying puts it apart for God. Well, how do you set apart a day? Every day comes. So how is this different from any other day with an evening in the morning? Well, there's a combination of things we do and things we don't do. 
So for example, in the offerings in the temple, we double the offerings, showing it's a special day. Like, you know, I remember, uh, you like in Christian equivalents, when I was a boy, we always had a big meal on Sunday. Took out the best china things, you know. That was, we did something special, you know. So in the temple, something special was done. The daily offerings were doubled on the Sabbath. Also, remember how we're told in the temple we had uh, we had a table that had showbread on it, you know, loaves that were put out, and they were replaced once a week. They were replaced on the Sabbath. They were renewed. And especially there was a sacred assembly. People gathered on the Sabbath for a sacred assembly, like we gathered the congregation. Uh, matter of fact, the term we use, the, um, the term ecclesia in Greek, you know, once called out, is the Greek translation of great congregation in the Old Testament. Oh, I see. So it comes from that. that yeah, phrase. it comes from that. That was the, how they, how do we translate the, you know, the, the, this, this, the, the congregation? You know, we said they had the ones called out and they use the term ecclesia. So it was the idea that when Jews were called together in sacred assembly, called together, you know, ecclesia, called out for assembly. So they assembled together like we do on Sunday mornings, you know, uh, and they had the, and the, there are special liturgical observances different from every other day. But the other things, things we do, but things we don't do. How do you make a day special? How do you, how does it not go into the regular, how does it belong to God? And so we eliminated what was called servile work. That is work that you'd have servants would do. And there are some specific prohibitions, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the books of Moses. Uh, for example, cooking. Uh, you can't cook on the Sabbath. That's why we have, remember it talks about the day of preparation for Passover. And we talk about our Lord's death. Is the day of preparation, that's where you have to get all your cooking done the day before. You can keep it heated, but you can't do the cooking on the day. It has to be done the day before. So they needed to get takeout is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. You know, basically, you could keep it on. You could keep it on the in. Uh, you could sort of keep it on a warmer. You know, like a, what do they call the in the fast food places where they keep under heat lamps. Oh yeah, or like the, or like the the little like drawer where the they keep the 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 burgers at McDonald's. You know, that like hot drawer. Yes. Wow, I'm feeling Sabbath already. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a day of preparation. So like yeah. you couldn't actually cook on the Sabbath. That's work. Uh huh. And boy, in the ancient world, it really was work. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I imagine it was. So, so this is taken extremely seriously, obviously. Another thing is you can't gather manna. In the desert, we are specifically, well, actually, there are 39 things we're specifically told you can't do on Sabbath, according to the, uh, the tractate in the, in the Mishnah, which is the law. The heart of the Talmud is, is a law code called the Mishnah. And there are 39 things there. There's a regular tra- they call them tractates. There's a tractate on the subject. But we also have plowing and reaping. You can't plow and you can't reap on the Sabbath. Now we say, wait, later on, remember that reaping? That reaping is going to be what, what do you do with, uh, you know, later on, well, you know, about the disciples going through grain fields. Does that constitute reaping? Okay. Lighting a fire. This is why in Israel, if you visit Israel, you see why the elevators work automatically on Sabbath. Because pressing a button, anything that generates an electric code is considered to be equivalent to starting a fire. Okay, okay. So you can leave a light on, but you can't turn a light on. Okay, so... You create a spark. I see how this is kind of starting to be... It, it starts to b- become kind of adapted to, to modern circumstances later. But the principle... Right, but if you're wondering, the principle was that which particular commandment in the Torah is being by, which says don't light a fire, and it's been interpreted by the rabbis in modern times to mean anything that would cause a spark, you know, to do something that causes the spark, you know, to, to create a circuit is the equivalent, the modern equivalent of lighting a fire. So you can leave the lights on, but you can't turn them on. Uh Uh-huh. That makes sense. That makes sense. You can't gather wood. Okay. 
You can't carry burdens. You can't press grapes. You know, like, you know, prepare them for wine. You can't carry in your sheaves. You bring them into your barn. You can't load animals. And actually, animals get the day off too. Everyone gets the day off on the Sabbath. And you can't engage in commercial activity. Matter of fact, you can't even touch money on the Sabbath. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought about that. But that's a later thing. Yes, that's a late. But yeah, no, you can't touch money on the Sabbath. Now, what you have then later on, remember the rabbis tried to make sure we don't accidentally violate the Sabbath. So they came with all sorts of, I'll give you some examples of very specific things. Like you say, would, would writing something constitute? They would say, well, if you wrote two letters, like ABC, you know, Aleph, Beth, Gamal, you know, like that. Two letters constitute a violation of the Sabbath. Oh, really? Okay. And what about, what about plucking an ear of grain? You could, uh, you, you, even if you pluck t two ears of grain constitutes reaping. If you rub them together, it constitutes threshing, which is prohibited. Ah, if you right. carry something, the weight of a fig, that was the measure. It was bearing a burden. Huh. Wow. Okay. So that's how they define that. That's anything heavier yes. than a fig is a burden. Yes. Um, any, anything like rubbing things together, that's, that's reaping. That seems, that seems a little... That seems a little strict, Father Stephen. <laughs> well, it's a day of rest. Yeah. Weaving two threads together, sewing two stitches. Now, um, also, you were allowed to travel because this, you had to get to get, come to the assembly. So the rabbis began saying, well, how far could that be? And so they end up coming up with what we call in the New Testament, called the Sabbath day journey. Okay. Okay. The, the maximum you could have. Well, are, are there any... Um... I mean, are there exceptions to this? Like how, this, this, it, it, like I mean, practical life seems to intrude sometimes. So d does does that happen? Do we get any exceptions? There are classic exceptions. One is say, to save life. To save life is an absolute. You can do anything to save life on the Sabbath. Not heal or something. It has to be to save a life. But if it's a matter of life or death, life wins. The next thing we had came up actually in the books of Maccabees. We historically where it came up. The argument was. Can you actually fight on the Sabbath? And what happened here is people wouldn't fight on the Sabbath. They were massacred. So they decide in 1 Maccabees chapter 2, they said, we have to do something about this. So this is where they made the ruling that defensive warfare was allowed. You couldn't start an attack on the Sabbath, but you could, you could fight off an attack. And we see in all the evidence of this, when our Lord talks about, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to kill? He's talking about the fact they had made this exception that you could even kill on the Sabbath. You know, they made an exception that would allow the taking of life in defense of warfare. I see. Okay. Okay. Now, in Lord's time, we had a rule that said if your animal fell into a pit, you could help it out. You could actually pull it out. But that was too, too lenient. So later on in the current Talmud, what it tells us is you can't pull it out, but what you can do is put stuff in so it can climb its way out. Put in mattresses, whatever it takes, <laughs> to allow that. If he climbed out, you can't help that, but you could drop things in to help them out, but you can actually lift it out. Okay, okay. But in our Lord's time, you could lift it out. All right, I see. So we get a little bit of development there. But the idea was to make sure that this really was a day that we didn't use excuses to do work by another name. And the Sabbath, by the way, to Jews is the time of joy. It's greeted in with song, welcoming Sabbath. It's a she. Welcome the Sabbath. And... My experience with Orthodox Jews is people love the Sabbath because it truly, this has really allowed it to, um, to be very, very special. You sort of have a feeling like that, um, you know, when, if you hear um, 
uh, writers and things who otherwise in the public sector who are Orthodox Jews. Like think of someone like the, the political speaker, Ben Shapiro, uh, very much uh, likes keeping Sabbath. The very birth of God, but there's something about having a day that's the absolute there, you know, except for life, you know, that um, you're really not in, it's not the regular life. You actually stop, put the world on hold. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I imagine it, it's, it, it, it could seem kind of, you know, arcane to people that aren't in the, the tradition, but I mean, it's, that's kind of the essence of a holiday, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, you, you don't do the regular thing. You, 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 you set that day aside. Well, one thing we all owe to, to the, many things we owe to the Jews is one or to God through him is, is the, um, is the idea of a weekend. Yeah. You know, the seven day week is nothing in, inherent in nature about a seven day week. It comes from God, you know, through the, through the scriptures. The Romans had no equivalent. They had regular festivals for gods and things. They weren't regular times. The idea of there would be a day when everybody, slaves, everybody took off and things is a very Jewish notion. The seven day week and the idea of having a day of rest that everyone shared is the origin of the weekend. Oh, well, that's super fascinating. Um, well, Romans didn't have a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> No bank, just bank holidays, right? Yeah, the bank <laughs> holidays, right? Um, well, I mean, so so that's great. I mean, that's great for you know for the Old Testament for the Jews, but you know Christians are different from Jews, but we still got the commandment. So let's start talking about the history of you know what do the Christians do with the Sabbath, and where do we, how do we get to where we are today? Well, in the early church. The thing uh, to, uh, to look at with the commandment is Paul tells us that in Ephesians 2, uh, 16 through 17, he says that the shadow is part of those things he describes as a shadow of the things to come. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or whether to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul, just like with circumcision, looked upon this as being a particularly Jewish practice. And by the way, Christians did not say that no Christian had said in early times that the Sabbath was moved to Sunday. The Sabbath is the Sabbath. It's the seventh day. That's what it means. Okay, one of the things, what they did do is establish a different day they gathered, which was the day of the Lord. That's what they called. They didn't call it the Sabbath. It was the day of the Lord. Okay, so it's not like our Sabbath is Sunday now. It's just this is the this is the Lord's day when we gather. But they're they're not saying this is the same thing as Sabbath. Not in the early church. We're going to find out where the idea of a Christian Sabbath comes from. It's much much later. But the Christians would say there is a Sabbath. It's the seventh day, of course. That's what the Bible says forever. That is the Sabbath. The Christians meant on the Lord's day. Remember, that's what we talk about on the Lord's Day, the Bible on the Day of the Lord. Okay, and some Jewish Christians, by the way, observe both. Some Jewish Christians continue to observe Sabbath, and then on Sunday, you know, they, they get gathered with their Christian congregation, you know, for Christian worship. Now, what was the argument for change? Like I said, Paul thought it was part of the Jewish ceremonial law, and a lot of early writers talked about that we observe the fourth commandment spiritually. And here's what they would argue, which is really a surprise, I think, to many of our listeners. The argument was that every day is the Sabbath for us. Every day, our whole, all of our time, like pray continually, is set aside. The, the Christian idea was that every day would be set aside for God. 
was a very common trope in early Christian writing. So Christians about the first day of the week, they would never question that the Sabbath was the seventh day, but we didn't observe it. That was a Jewish observance. Some Christians did observe it. It was considered innocent enough, but it didn't replace Sunday. Sunday wasn't considered a Sabbath, it was the Lord's day. And we attached a special meaning to why did we move it to the first day of the week? Or not move it, is it why did we move our gathering together on the first day of the week? First of all, it's the day of the resurrection, which is a central fact of our faith. But what happened on the resurrection? It's the day, you know, we celebrate the Sabbath was the end of something. It was the end of the first creation. The resurrection begins the new creation. It's the first day of the new creation. So the idea of John the Baptist versus, uh, you know, the, the, he's the greatest, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The idea of we have everything of the first creation is on the Sabbath. Now Christ in his resurrection has made all things new. It's, that's why John says in the beginning was the word, but the idea is he wants to get the idea that we, we're coming to this eighth day. We're coming to a whole new creation. And so that's, we celebrate the beginning of the new creation rather than completion of the old creation. And also another thing is that we have Christ's resurrection appearances. Mary Magdalene, you know, it's on the first day of the week. The myrrh-bearing women on the first day of the week. Jesus appears to all the apostles except Thomas gathered on that first night in the upper room on the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection. The disciples on the road to Emmaus meet him on the day of the resurrection. Then Jesus comes back on the next Sunday, one week later on the same Lord's day. You know, he meets them, you know, he, he meets them in that, in that room with Thomas present. So they say, look, this is when the Lord clearly, when people are gathered together. So they said, this is the day of the resurrection, the whole beginning of the new, the new, the new world, you know, the, the new creation. And this is when our Lord appeared to everyone. And so they said that was the meaning of the Lord's day. Okay. So you, so the Lord's day is, it's not the seventh day. It's the eighth day or it's the, it's the first day. It's the, the yeah. new day. Yeah. The day, right. The, the day of a new, you know, first day of a new, of a new creation. So that's the, that's the first day of a new there. creation. Sometimes it's called the eighth day in the sense it begins. A, we go beyond the week now into a new creation. Okay. Okay. Um, so we, how, so, you know, that this is the early church, but then, you know, once we start to get into the Christian empire, um, and, and everything, how to, how do things change? Well, the biggest thing is that Constantine set Sunday aside as a legal day of rest for urban dwellers. You say, why urban dwellers? Because as a, he says in his practical necessity, look, people have to do things on farms when they have to do them. <laughs> He said, so we're not going to make it against the law, you know, if people have to bring in a crop or something like this. But he said in the cities, it's, it made, set it aside. And the idea the church loved was made sure that people were not distracted from attending assembly. One of the critical things is to make sure the Christians have the leisure. One of the reasons we met really, really early in the morning in the early church is because before Christianity was the state religion and things, people had to go to work on, you know, on this day. It was a work day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so people had to go before they went to work. And no wonder, and, uh, no wonder people converted. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and now, so what happened here is though now it's, uh, he sets it aside. And so that was the uh, original development. What happens later on, it's interesting with Thomas Aquinas, it's going to be big, is Christians, Christians agreed that the Mosaic law, remember we have three different types of commandments. We talk about them in the 39 articles. But they were generally recognized throughout the Western Church in the in the Law of Moses, 613 commandments. Some of them were specifically things for Jews, for Jewish worship. 
how do we offer sacrifices, right? Those are not eating pork, the, the dietary laws. We accepted that those things were unique to the Jewish covenant. They were signs of the special covenant with God and his chosen people. So they didn't buy, they're called ceremonial. The ceremonial commandments did not bind Christians. That included circumcision, you know, did not bind Christians. And as Paul saw it, the Sabbath did not bind Christians. The second group were called civil laws, things that were only applicable to the Holy Land, you know, about cities of refuge, for example. You set aside these particular cities, those didn't apply. But anything that involved morality did apply to us. You know, things that the moral commandments were applicable. So Christians agreed, and we often call that the natural law. Those are applicable to everybody, the natural law. And so Christians agreed that the moral commandments of the Mosaic law were binding on Christians. So here's what happened. Thomas Aquinas argued that it was actually a basic moral law to have a day of rest hmm. for the worship of God. He argued that was natural law. Oh, okay. So beforehand... So it sounds like Paul is talking about this as a ceremonial law, but but Thomas Aquinas is saying, oh, wait, no, this is actually, there's something moral about this. Well, there's no contradiction in this sense that the idea of having that particular day, the, the Sabbath, the seventh day, no one think of any other day as being the Sabbath, uh -huh. wasn't binding on a Christian. That was specific to Jews. But the idea that there should be rest for people, for public worship, he he argued that, what the fourth commandment was reflecting was an underlying, in addition to a ceremonial law for Jews, it was an underlying rule that all people should have a time set apart. So he argued it was a moral commandment understood that way. That could justify why we do it on Sunday rather than Saturday, since it does say the Sabbath, which is a, the seventh day of the week. No one was arguing that Sunday was a, the Sabbath. I see. I see. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. No one argued it was a Sabbath. So we simply say, well, the same logic of the that basic law applied to Jews represented an even underlying law. For example, the Ten Commandments say don't kill, but that's not just in the Ten Commandments. That's, that's part of the, the natural law. No one can kill. And so the idea here was that the underlying practice of setting time aside for the worship of God, you know, for rest and the worship of God, was part of the natural law, uh, Thomas Aquinas argued. So the traditional observance in the West was public worship. It was the day you had an obligation, you know, to, to attend public worship and also to abstain from work like commerce, servile work. Why? Because if we had that, it was, gonna, it was going to basically mean people rushing out of church to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a way, you know, basically it's a practical way to protect the idea of really having a day the community got together. And you spend time together. Yeah. And as you would know, in the, uh, in the, in the Baptist traditions in the South, the beautiful thing on Sundays was the tradition of people would come for church in the morning and they'd have a service before they left home at night. And they spend the That's whole right. day together. That's right. Sunday night. That's why your Sunday night service was to say goodbye. That's right. You have a potluck dinner and have a service and uh, maybe, maybe a, a singing, uh, singing service. And you would then go home. But it was, the whole day was a day where the church met. It's true. It's funny. By the time I was uh, young and going to church, we it, the, the, the church didn't spend the whole day together, but there was still a Sunday night service. Um, so my parents are the ones that told me, oh, yeah, we used to spend the whole we used to spend the whole dang day together. Um, and that's 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 why we kind of had this Sunday night service. But then that went away. But the Sunday night service remained. <laughs> Well, there's also a practical reason for it. We have to remember until very modern times, uh, transportation, especially in rural areas, it took a long time in a buggy to get somewhere. 
So if you're taking several hours to get to the meeting place, you know, with your family and things, you want to make best use of that time. You, you know, so you wanted to have the day. And so that's one of the things that made people want to spend a day together. If you went to all the trouble that it used to be to get around in, in pre 20th century world, it was, it really took a lot of time. It was hard. And so you wanted to make the most of it. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But by the time you've got SUVs and you can kind of, you know, get to and from places pretty quickly, then, then that, that stops becoming uh, as as important, I guess. Well, we still see it, I suppose. I have relatives, for example, here uh, who live about two hours away. And it's funny, if I go up there, I'm going to make a day of it. You know, other people are just thinking, hey, I'll just pack it. Let's just, you know, stop by, have a cup of coffee or something. But you don't think that when it's two hours there and two hours back. Right, right. We got to do something significant. We have to spend a few hours together to make that. Make that. Sure, sure. Okay, so... So we've got this. So now we're, it sounds like we're kind of starting to rebuild Sabbath for, for Christians in a way. <laughs> so how does that keep going? Although something very important to notice here, uh-huh. the thing was don't do servile work, meaning, you know, just tasks that have to get practical things, but there's nothing about it. Enjoying yourself that day. Hmm. Interesting. What would be wrong with that? The idea is we don't want anything to detract, but there's nothing, there's nothing anti having a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. A day off. You go to worship of things, but you could have no actual work. Now, everything is going to change in the 16th or the 18th centuries with what's called traditionally Protestant Sabbatarianism. Hmm. And the one thing that they had is the reformers said they concluded that all Ten Commandments had to be understood as being moral rather than ceremonial. So how can we justify that since the Sabbath is the Sabbath? And this is where you get a very, a very Protestant idea that somehow... The Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath somehow had moved. It's not that it was replaced by the day of the Lord, but that the Sabbath has simply moved. And they argued based on the logic of Thomas Aquinas. You know, there was natural law and things, so Christian had the right to move it. But that it was still binding because the idea of having a day set aside for this was binding. So they actually take Thomas Aquinas' logic but they simply say, well, how do we say it's the fourth command which talks about the Sabbath? No, the Sabbath is going to, we're going to move it. Because what's really essential is the moral part that there has to be a day like this. But for Christians, that day is going to be a different day. Okay, okay. So this is where we start getting into, um, okay, Sunday is actually the new Sabbath. Um, right, Sunday is the new Sabbath. So how do the Protestants start to, uh, start to observe this? There's a dramatic break in two different types of Protestants. On the continent, except for some, uh, some in the Reformed churches, like in France and things, some of those churches, uh, the Palatinate and things, like in Lutheran Europe, etc., is what everybody agreed is there should be public worship, that this was a day that Christians gathered for public worship, and we should do no regular work on that day, no servile work. You didn't plow the field, you didn't run your business. However, something happened in England and Scotland. They really, the Puritan Sabbath. Remember, the Puritans were a group within the Church of England who were Calvinists, who thought that we should get rid of everything connected with the old ways and basically have a very Calvin-like church in England. So they also went an extra step. They argued that we should also prohibit recreational activity. It's not enough that we just don't work. We need to spend every moment with God, either in private devotion or works of charity. But there could be no question of anything recreational or fun. This is where the Sabbath would get its bad name. Oh, I see. Okay, so this is keep, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy means this is just one long day of, of you know, church worship. 
basically. Did I mention long? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this would people classically, people would read Pilgrim's Progress. They'd have to read religious books. I see. Okay. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't have a, a game of catch or a game of baseball in the uh-huh. backyard. That's violating the Sabbath. Yeah. The only thing is do religious things. I okay. mean, you could meditate, you read the Bible, read official holy books like Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. Well, shoot, I, read, well I assume alcohol is right out as well, right? <laughs> I cannot hear you. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny that, you know, I, I mean, obviously this is a, a, a bit later, but, you know, even to this day in, in Texas, you still can't buy uh, hard liquor on on Sunday. Um, not that well, I've ever tried, place. but the, I, I just happen to know. The fear would people would would had time in the tavern rather than going to church. Yeah. If they didn't have to go to work. <laughs> no, seriously, that they'd say, well, it's the equivalent, frankly, it's the older equivalent of going to the Starbucks. A lot of people now would rather get have the coffee and read the New York Times at Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather yeah. than go to church. I so see. a lot of guys say, if I have, these people worked hard. They work, remember, this is before uh, short times. Like, we think of an eight-hour day. My word. People worked at least 10 hours a day or 10 or 12 hours right, a day. Right, yeah. In hard work. And so the one, if they're going to get one day off, you know, they're going to tend to let's sleep in and get something to drink. Sure, sure. And again, drinking was not, it was associated. People normally, especially in Europe, uh, drank al- alcohol as considered safety, you know, because the out for, for, you know, hygiene and things. So people drank beer as a regular drink. It wasn't drink. But so people just wanted to go and have a drink with their friends and things. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that wouldn't, that temptation, close the Starbucks. Yeah. So yeah. To speak. <laughs> close, uh, you know, uh, don't do that. Well, you know, as a, as a, as a, 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 a rector of a church for whom, you know, you're, you try not to pay attention to these things, but your average church attendance is, you know, rather a factor in your livelihood sounds kind of nice hey you know what <laughs> no competition <laughs> no no starbucks no hanging out no brunch uh yeah you're all coming to church why because it's sunday <laughs> well it's also something we all shared as a community it was not considered a personal choice you know everyone you know worshiped god in the west the idea of re- is religion as you might decide which kind of christian you were but the idea that everyone worshiped their god god in his own his or her own way you sure know, going to synagogue or something was universal Sure. Even people who weren't terribly religious, like like Unitarians, went to church. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So this whole uh, this whole um, just uh, sleeping in thing that's kind of a that's kind of a new thing. Now the thing I just described though is very much an Engl- England Scotland thing. It's very very English speaking. A few people did some of that on the continent, but never caught on. So that's why they, you know this. Uh, you know, the Puritan Sabbath, that's what we call Puritan, which is an English movement. And we see this, this was actually embodied in the Westminster Confession of Faith. I would like to read some things that shows all the things we're talking about are embodied. Oh, yeah, man, that's, it's, it's rare that we, uh, that we start quoting the Westminster Confession, Father Stephen, so let's, let's, let's get into it. Well, it starts out by saying, as it is the law of nature, let me take off with a commentary, a gloss, and saying, he's appealing to Thomas Aquinas. Fascinating, yeah. As it is the law of nature that in general, a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God. So in his word, by a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him. So he's arguing it's the, the one in seven days is the thing which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in scripture is called the Lord's day. And it is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. Okay. So now we've got kind of a formalization of this here. So, so that's where we, we, we do start to see, 
hey, it's not just that there's this, there's the Lord's day now. It's, this is actually our Sabbath. This is, it's changed. It's the Sabbath. God has moved the Sabbath with Christianity. It's, it's uh, basically dispensational. You know, the sa- that Sabbath, the seventh day thing was before this. And now the Sabbath has simply been moved. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. look at how it talks about observing it. The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a, a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, meaning get everything ready before Sunday, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations. You can't even think about baseball on Sunday. You can't even think about work, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Okay, okay. Okay, so this is this is total um, from from your thoughts to your actions. We're 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 entirely in church mode on the yes, Christian entirely one hundred percent. We think about nothing but God and His worship or His word. Okay, well, this is a ratcheting up in a way of even the Jewish Sabbath, right, Father Stephen? I mean, the the it's the the Jewish Sabbath doesn't doesn't say you oh, have to no, spend yeah. the whole day in worship, right? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Okay. That's why people rejoice that it's coming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Well, um, so that is where we kind of get this Protestant tradition of Sunday being being kind of the, 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 the Christian Sabbath. They didn't want to say, let me summarize this way, if I may. They didn't want to say, gee, one of the Ten Commandments doesn't apply. So they had to say, well, there's something underlying that commandment that continues to apply. It's not the actual Sabbath day, but it's the need to have a day like that, you know, a day for worship, etc. And later on, a particular part said that what we have with the Westminster Convention saying, no, actually, the Sabbath has simply been moved. You know, it's been moved to Sunday. That's the radical thing. That's what we call the Puritan Sabbath in, in, a, in a dramatic sense. Well, that's that that I can see you you can kind of see how that trajectory comes about for sure. Um, it it there's a there's a way in which it it kind of makes sense to try and apply the the commandment that way. Um, but that's a well uh, at least today, right, Father Stephen? I think it would be fair to say that that's that that hasn't exactly uh, caught on uh, with, with, with everyone. So what happens to, uh, to the Puritan Sabbath after that? Well, it's sort of like in England during the, during the, um, uh, during the civil wars, you know, the worst thing for, for, pres- uh, for the, um, you know, Puritans was to come into power, <laughs> uh, to get what they want. <laughs> these, these were the people who abolished Christmas, you know, who mandated the Sabbath by law, Okay. you know, enforced it. These were extraordinarily, think of the Ayatollahs. I miss how people <laughs> looked at them. They, I don't mean that's unfair to them because there are many Puritans were wonderful Yeah, we people. don't want to be fair to the Ayatollahs either. But. Well, no, no, I mean, but the Ayatollahs do, do horrible things. With, I know, you know, I'm but just the, kidding, I'm but, just kidding. But I'm saying, but it had that, f- people looked upon that these people are just really bossy. And it really gave the Lord's Day a bad name. I mean, a lot of people, and that's why it's declined in the 19th century as, frankly, de-Christianization began to creep in. The Sabbath really lost hold. That kind of Sabbath keeping became really exceptional. Well, I guess uh, it's a shame or a blessing, depending upon who you talk to. What are we left with here, you know, today? So we've got this kind of increasing tradition of kind of replacement of Sabbath with Sunday, and it kind of goes all the way with the the puritans uh and the radical reformers finally um and then we kind of 
pull back from this later on almost seems like almost across the board but you know what what are we left with here though what how how do we properly uh, observe the fourth commandment today i think it's a really it's a really good question well we certainly don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater because part of our our, our uh, centuries centuries long tradition is that we do look upon sunday as the day christians gather they always have from the earliest times and we also want to make that ever since the uh, since the fourth century, we've made this a time where we want to dedicate it in a special way of not letting the world push it out. That this is a day in the sense we don't want to, this is not, not another work day. It's not a day we simply go to church and then do what we do at any other day, that we want to make this. That's sanctification, setting it, reserving. I think the reformers put it beautifully to reserve a space you know, for God to sanctify this this time in our lives for gathering as a, as a people, God's people together, and for worshiping God and for a day of rest. And it should be characterized, I think the real trouble with the, with the Puritan Sabbath, it became very much a not joyful. And one thing that characterizes Sabbath observance is joy. So it ought to be something we look forward to. We look forward to Sunday. This is the day we get together with the people we love to worship the living God. This is the day we put aside to actually be with our families. You know, this is the time we put aside to, we actually read that, uh, that book we want to read. We, we do this thing. This could be a really special time for God. So the primary focus is this is a time for word and table. It's a time for rest and it's a time for works of charity. This is really a time when we see, you know, Aunt, uh, Aunt Min who has Alzheimer's. This would be a really great time on the Lord's Day to remember she's remembered. You know, so those are the things that to me, it's not so much what we, the, the, uh, a day of joy focusing on primarily word and table. That Christians have always gathered for word and table on the first day of the week, always from the earliest times. Rest that we'd make sure it's not just something we throw in around another. We had to do that in the earliest church because we had to work that day. It wasn't you know, we didn't have a weekend. Now we do a day of rest and a day for also uh, not just spending time with family, but also people who could get lost. You know, again, those people are sort of pushed aside in our society. People sitting in the homes and things. It'd be a nice day to do those kind of things, help someone out. You know, our Lord said it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Thank you so much, Father Stephen, and thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.